Welcome to Not Remotely Entertaining, the series that looks at lockdown in a different light. We all miss the theatre, the cinema and our favourite TV shows. But what about the people who work in the entertainment industry? Each week we look at the challenges and changes of lockdown from a new perspective. Today we talk to Jamie Parker and Deborah Crow. Today we are delighted to have with us Jamie Parker and Deborah Crow, who are going to be talking to us about how the theatre industry is coping with lockdown. Hello, hello everyone. Hello. Welcome. So both of you are actors, you both work in the industry, meaning that you're not just speaking from the perspective of an individual, but from the perspective of a performing arts family, which is pretty exciting. It's like there's no business like show business in our house. Can you explain a bit about what your backgrounds in the theatre and performing arts industries are? So I um, trained at the Guildhall School and it was called the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and I've found out recently they've changed it now so it's just the Guildhall School um, because it's encompassing a whole load of different ranges of the arts Um, and so that was a very long, long four-year course and after that, I, um, I worked in a bank because I needed some money <laughs> because even 100 years ago, students would leave university or college with no money and debt. So um, and then that got very boring. So I went we I think the stage is still around, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the stage newspaper. Um, and I saw a job or an audition in there for the Doily Cart Opera Company. So I thought. I'll give it a whirl. So um, went to an open audition because I didn't have an agent um, and then uh, turned up at the Savoy Theatre on the wrong day. So I went the next day, which <laughs> is when the audition was, um, suited and booted and uh, yeah, and, and got a job in the chorus of the Doily Cart Operetta Company. Um, and then it was a case of just auditioning and getting an agent and... Um, it was handy having something on my CV. So, uh, yeah, then it was, what did you I do? You started after? a relationship, a working relationship with Martin Duncan, didn't you? And that yeah, led on that, to the it, show we met on. Yeah, so <clears> Martin <throat> Duncan was directing one of the Doily Cart productions and we became good friends. And then he was auditioning for another Gilbert and Sullivan, which was happening at the Chichester Festival Theatre. Um, and called me and said, because I still didn't have an agent at this point, and so it really is who you know, not what you know, (laughs) Um, called me and said, uh, can you come and audition for it? And so I did and got that, and that's where we met in that season, um, 2003, quite a long time. And every every day since has been a A dream, a, a light operetta comedy. It has. And we've just kachooked our way through life since 2003. Mm hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so then um yeah after that i uh i had a few lovely jobs i got an agent after chichester because we did a couple of production there you know they do lots of things each season um and uh and so after that i went into phantom for a couple of years and then after that i was really lucky i just sort of hopped from one job to the next which i think is quite rare 
um, for people to do. You'd finish your job on the Saturday and start another one on the on Monday. On the Monday, it really, it really was. I was really annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> so ended up going into the Sound of Music, um, which was the one they did with. Um, it was the f- sort of the first televised thing that they did on the BBC, um, where it wasn't any more a case of going into a room with a panel of people. No, you now had to audition for the entire country and they got to vote on whether or not you got the job. So uh, that was all slightly terrifying for lovely Connie who had to go through that. But she got the role and then we turned up and did a year of that. And then after that, it was kind of just plodding along, doing bits and bobs. I was very pleased to get out of um, eight shows a week in town because it was hard work. Um, and I'd sort of had my fill of it, so I did a bit of touring and uh, I I somehow found myself teaching Lambda and that's what I've been doing now for about 12 years. Um, and I love it. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's the sort of thing you can do on FaceTime and Zoom as well, which is... Which is really like great. This, really good. And I could do it as well with the performing. Um, so... Yeah, it was it, it. It's all worked out. Yeah, I feel very lucky with how everything's worked out. Um, so yeah, over to you. Um, I left school and uh, went to. Uh, it took me about three years to get into drama school in the first place. Um, I knew I wanted to do it from a very young age, but um, I didn't. I just had to keep on knocking on the door. Eventually got in, and I went to um, Rada for three years in '99. I came out in 2002, and. Um, it's mostly been theatre, um, with uh, occasional bits and bobs on telly and film and radio and sort of wherever the work has, has taken me. Um, but it's uh, I, I was lucky quite early on, um, the same year I met Deb, to land a job on a play at the National Theatre called The History Boys, which went on for quite a long time. All his luck came at once, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Uh, even though I went through long periods of not working, so in the second year of doing History Boys, all we did was the film, which was just one month over the summer. But for the rest of that 12 months, I didn't work at all. Um, and then when we finally finished on Broadway, having won all these Tonys and stuff like that, I then didn't work for again for about nine months, something like that. Um, I was bringing home but, the bacon yeah, at that Deb point. Yeah, Deb, Deb, <laughs> Deb was winning bread all over the place. And um, pretty much most of the jobs I've done since then have been based on um, a meeting that I would have had because somebody saw that play. It was a big, a big play or a relationship that then got formed out of that. So, um, uh, you know, I would work with someone based on them having seen that and then I would work on some something with someone based on them having seen that. And it just becomes a sort of daisy chain. Um I had an early mentor in the form of Dominic Drumgoul who gave me my very first job before all of that. And, and years later, I came back and did some Shakespeare with him at Shakespeare's Globe. Um, and um, and then sort of one thing leads to another. And, and the last three years have sort of been taken up with Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, but that's all done and dusted now. And, uh, and now here we are, trying to figure it out. It is always extraordinary, isn't it, how yeah. there was a job that he did and we were... We weren't married and we were living in London. I was in one flat and he was in another down the road. And and uh, he came round one day and I was in my marigolds and uh, cleaning the flat. And he said, Deb, you want to sit down for a minute? I said, sure. He said, I got the Tom Cruise gig, which was a <laughs> film called Valkyrie. And um, 
guys, like, we thought, this is it. Oh, it's going to change your life. This is, like, yeah. we are now multi-millionaire. Never right, going to have to work again. Get that Mercedes SLK ordered now. <laughs> and we want it in black. We want it in matte black. And, um... <laughs> Yeah. They it, went, this it, is what you're getting paid because it's your first job in film on a SAG yeah. contract and you're never, uh, you know. So, and so they went, oh, okay, so I'll. Oh, oh okay. cancel that then. Okay. Okay, let's just get a poster of it instead. <laughs> um, and it's it, never quite what you think it's going to be. Yeah, and then as soon as you've done the job, you think that more jobs are going to come smashing in, right? Because you've just, like, been playing Tom Cruise's number one dude. And, nah, yeah, actually. No, no, that just doesn't happen. And we were doing red carpet gigs and we had no money. In the Searching back. for the bus fare down the back of the sofa <laughs> with we, your tux on, like, trying to get to Leicester Square. Guys, to I mean, the it sounds very bohemian and slightly romantic, but it was real. It was real. <laughs> we had no cash. It was weird. Um, and yet I had Armani shoes on that some person had lent me. So it was, yeah, it's, it's a very... Very silly business. It's all pretend. Which of your jobs have been blown off course because of lockdown? Uh, I'm supposed to be in the West End right now uh, on a play by Rob Ike called The Doctor uh, with Juliet Stevenson. And um, uh, it's now... You know we're 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 waiting to hear with the they're we're in a weirdly better position than a lot of plays in the West End because it's already rehearsed and we've got the set and we've done the marketing so we've spent that money um, so as and when things do finally ease up uh, we should be placed to to get back up and running quicker than other shows but um, at the moment it's yeah we're just in a holding pattern like everybody else so. It's all adaptation, you know. Um, I I built a studio here um, for recording and stuff um, to do audio books and voiceovers and uh, for all of us to use. Um, and it's really come into its own, you know, at this point, um, and that's great. But I I I, I was pretty analog. Um, in the work you know I, I liked just I liked theatre I liked the live theatre of it and that gradually got more and more technical um, very technical with shows like Harry Potter and stuff but ultimately it's still just kind of an acoustic gig and uh, life has become extremely digital mm. <laughs> um, in a short space of time and that's I, but it's a chance to learn new skill sets and you know everything it's kind of stuff that you feel like you should have known in the first place but just crash courses in three-point lighting. And somebody else always did it, you know, and now yeah, that somebody else isn't there, and so you have to be that person and, yeah. and learn those new skills. And at the age of 25, we are you... still open to <laughs> le yes. learning new things, but it is harder. There is no doubt about that. It is harder trying to, um, I find, finding the patience, and especially when you've got a busy household and you're trying to homeschool children and yeah um so it's it's an yeah it's an extraordinary time and i want it to be over <laughs> but we're in a you know but we're, we're we keep reminding ourselves of how lucky we are compared oh, with a lot of people yeah. so it's um it's uh yeah it's it's the adaptation life life is adaptation all the time it just it's just it's just coming thick and fast at this point mm. and mm. 
just try to see it as an opportunity to learn things that have been on the list or do those projects that have been on the list for a long time anyway. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of positives to be found, definitely. Yeah. Saying that, what aspects of work would you say that you miss the most? People. Oh, 100%. It's people. It's, 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 it's society and, and companionship and just... Um, and variety as well. You know, it's it's just like like everyone's experiencing. Um, uh, it's the spice of life, you know. I don't believe it's human nature to stay away from other humans. That's um, well, a strange... It's, it's very hard. And the teaching that I'm doing online at the moment... Because are you guys having lessons online? I have my Lambda and singing lessons online, but it's just not the same with Zoom. It's really tough, isn't it? I mean, the the students that I've got, we're we're cracking on with it but you know doing exercises together if you're on a one-on-one is it's it's strange because I as a teacher am quite hands-on and so trying to tell somebody to move to stage right when you want to just show them or you want to be able to express an emotion doing that in 2D is really hard um so a lot of the time we've just spent actually chatting um I believe a lot of Lambda is to do with that. It's not all about, you know, let's pretend to be a puppy. It's actually just how are you feeling? How is it going? What's annoying you at the moment? What's making you happy? Um, And realising, understanding what those emotions feel like. mentioned the joys of homeschooling and voiceover work are there any other tasks that you've been doing to keep busy well we we sort of coming up with with uh, our own little, little projects i mean it's called doing stuff on spec um you, you 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 just keep your hand in trying to be creative in whatever uh, minor way you can mm. especially if you're learning new um new things like trying to you know, record camera stuff up to a certain level and make it look half decent and sound half decent, then even just doing a little 90-second video, you've got a whole bunch of stuff to juggle that where previously you would just have to come up, stand in the booth and just sing the song or, or say the words. Um, suddenly you're thinking about framing and lighting and inputs and uh, resolution and... Um, noise reduction and <laughs> compression and all of these words that you sort of are vaguely familiar but you'd never really had to deal with them and uh, so then so you're just just the process of learning how to it's, everybody comes a writer director producer engineer auteur in their own right and it's really interesting just setting yourself tasks of working on something a simple very very simple little project and noticing how when you're juggling all of that you're you have to remind yourself when you actually start a take to bring your brain fully back into concentrating on just the thing itself when you're, mm. when you're just performing. And that's, uh, you know, you start, you remind you, I, I used to direct and act in stuff at school because it was the only way that shows would actually get mm. on. Um, <laughs> and I loved that. I thought I was Kenneth Branagh at the age of 16, just without the talent. You're better than Kenneth Branagh. Well, that's, <laughs> school magazine said that, Kenneth Branagh without the talent. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, but it's interesting reminding, uh, reminding myself of, of that at the moment, um, and kind of going, oh yeah, it's just, um, you, you can hear that I'm concentrating on, 
other things, whereas normally I would just be... It's it's minor stuff, it's shades of nuance, but um, you just keep creative however you can. We're working with um, uh, a couple of friends on a couple of musical projects and stuff, so you pre-record something or they send somebody a track and then they add it and you pass it backwards and forwards. Um, I'm burning to have a crack at something like Sofa Session or Jam Kazam where this idea with if you get your connection connectivity right then you can actually make music live it's a bit cumbersome everything takes four times longer than it's supposed to if you have to sort of layer recordings on top of recordings on top of recordings um what you miss is the the immediacy of the just bouncing off of it each happening other. yeah of it just being live um, and so and it's, it's going to be fun seeing how this situation kickstarts technology and developments into ways where um, i mean can you imagine going through the lockdown a hundred years ago for Spanish influenza, which aside from it being a thousand times worse uh, um, as a disease, uh, you would you really were isolated. You didn't have this kind of humane tech where you could at least see each other's faces and talk. Mm. Um, uh, it'll be really interesting to see just in, even in a year or two's time. We had a nice chat with uh, Paul Thornley yesterday, and he played Ron on uh, in the show, and. Um, He's currently in Florida um, and we got chatting about how we can, what we can see happening with theatre. I think that theatres will be the last thing that open along with cinemas. Um, and what exactly, what's it going to be like? I'm sure there are hundreds of people already writing plays about the coronavirus outbreak yeah. and setting it so that, everyone is two metres apart and the audience are part of that and being two metres apart and, you know, is it going to be a line outside that is two metres apart? And well, there you end it's up with... It's just, yeah. but how do you perform a play two metres apart from people? It's, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it can be done and maybe there are some really innovative thinkers out there well, who just, are... Well, yeah, just now the government have said that, that uh, the UK, UK can start filming again on uh, TV and film productions. And everyone's saying, exactly that's, how's that going to work? That's How insane. do you do a love scene two metres apart uh, with a with a, camp, with a with a focus puller and a grip trying to stay two metres away from the director of photography? It's just not going to happen. Well, I'm sure if they yeah. employed me as director with my Lambda skills, we'd work it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's... And of course, the other thing is, especially theatre, if, uh, if you have to... I mean, theatre under conditions of social distancing just aren't going to work because you end up with a quarter of the audience and tickets at four times the price um and you know theaters are going to have to adapt at some point but or but, a massive cut in wages or about you know or, yeah you know as well but it's you know there it's all calibration you know just deciding what to do when your audience capacity goes down the National Theatre's ticket prices were already looking like they were going to go north of £100 this year. Um, and, you know, you you can make decisions at that point. You, you can drop prices and try and attract more people. But if you physically are, cannot have more people there, then ticket prices end up going up. And I don't and know, I thought that a lot of people in theatre would just prefer to not open. But, you know, the socially distant theatre isn't theatre. You'd rather not do it at all in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but it would be interesting to see. I don't know. I, I just don't know. And will people want to put themselves in that position anyway? Pay £100 for the privilege of what? 
Yeah, when right. most of the demographic are generally older people uh, yeah. in the at-risk category. So, uh, I don't know. Who knows, guys? Who knows? <laughs> the naughty one. You've effectively already answered my question there because obviously the whole, the whole film and theatre industry have completely been halted. But coming out of lockdown, do you think that there'll be any other impacts that it could have on it aside from social distancing? Um, I think we're probably destined for um, for one-man band kind of scale stuff. Um, or at least we'll, we'll, we'll get increasingly complex productions um, which are multi-layered one-man band productions. So you, you already, you're already seeing some pretty cool music videos made by musicians and singers and dancers um uh, all working remotely and it's amazing what you can do to make to to remain gripping and vibrant and, and imaginative um on on a screen when it really it's just thumbnails of people working on their own in a room um already we're seeing that become exciting at moments but a lot of, a lot of the time it's not it's just um it might be very you know, beautifully sung or something, but it's you can't really sort of call it a production as such. No. Um, uh, so I just don't know. I, I think part of it's going to be technology. We may end up with entirely new consumption platforms and interfaces that we just don't have yet. I mean, when you think about how gaming, for instance, has over the last few years has developed. When a few years ago, we didn't have stuff like Kinect. Um, you know, where the notion that you could control an interface just through body movement um, yeah. or or now you're getting to the point where you can control it using facial expression yeah. and just nuance of body movement, then it's you can see it being uh, not too far of a stretch to start including other senses on top of sight and sound. And before long you might be including smell and touch in in some ways that you just we, we can't necessarily quite fathom at this point um even if it's i mean we've already got things like vibration and airwaves you know there, there are there are um headphones and speakers that you can wear where it's not actually producing sound it's creating vibrations against your bone in your head which means that inside your head you can hear the sound whereas if you just hold it to your ear you can't hear a damn thing you know all of this stuff is going to take time to come out but um what people do with it creatively is anybody's guess you know it just comes from playing for our generation in terms of entering the industry especially because it's going to effectively have to restart after lockdown what advice would I give um, it's so different now from when it was when when we were really starting is. out it's worlds apart and I think you can I hope you can still make those human connections with directors and producers and casting directors I don't think you're ever going to stop anybody if somebody if somebody has it that that in them that they can't see themselves doing anything else then you're not going to stop them if you can 
See yourself doing something else, anything else, do that. (laughs) But if you can't see yourself doing anything, this is your life. You will commit 100%. You will commit to being out of work and having some kind of resource that can maybe keep a bit of money ticking in. Um, But arm yourself with information. Read, watch stuff on YouTube. We don't have YouTube. Um, But now there's everything there is available for you to watch from opera to stand up to full plays to, you know, arm yourself um, with knowledge. And and if you want to do it, watch it. Yeah. Watch the bad stuff. Watch the good stuff. Watch the stuff that makes you feel indifferent about the whole thing or fires you up that that isn't good enough. Um, And then. Make your own stuff. Make your own stuff. Be your own creator. That's how, I mean, I, when I didn't have an agent all those years ago, I had, when you were talking about being director, producer and lighting and DOP and that, I, I did that at 21 when I didn't have an agent. So I had to do the hard work of finding out the companies that I wanted to work for by what had they, what had they done? Did I like that kind of work? Did I want to audition for them? And then calling them and saying, I want an audition. How do I do that? And, and, by the time and then you get suddenly the going, room, yeah. oh my God, I've got an audition. I don't want to sing. So um, it's managing everything. It's being yeah, multitasking. And But all of that said, if you can see yourself doing anything else. Yeah do that because it's too hard it's it's saturated market it's 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 in, as in, as competitive a market as any other one you can get i mean it always and, used to be the line was that if someone say what, what what advice do you give someone who wants to do it you'd say don't do it because if you're going to do it you're not going to listen to the person who says don't do it exactly and in fact somebody saying don't do it is going to be exactly the fuel for the tenacity you need to get through um an industry like this mm-hmm. you just have to keep going despite the fact that everyone is continually telling you no mm. um, and you should maybe do something else. And if, if that kind of thing makes your resolve ratchet even tighter, then um, the, you, you may stay the course. A lot. I mean, we're, the thing is, we're talking 15 years, 20 years down the line now from the starting off point and at where we're standing, it, it becomes more about who's left um, in your casting bracket because yeah. a, a lot of people have gone, oh, do you know what? I saw this for a bunch of bananas. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and do something where I can actually know where the next paycheck's coming from or, or you know, uh, just life, their, their perspective on life has moved on and even though they might have, have you know, there, there are plenty of people infinitely more talented than me um, who... Uh, from my year at college, for example, who aren't doing it anymore because circumstances simply didn't allow them to. Um, I think we were really, and... we've just been so fortunate oh, God, in our yeah. position because when Jamie was getting the odd, we were able to have a discussion which was, we're a team, we've decided that we're going to be a team and that means that financially we can support one another and because well, he had yeah, you've had, got to drop your overheads though well That's because he had had the history boys and then we thought brilliant okay well this is it and it wasn't we then thought okay well my lambda teaching is going pretty well and i was traveling from london down to hearst pierpoint 
twice a week and staying with some very dear friends um, who very kindly put me up. But it was, we made that decision there and then, Jamie and I, that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop auditioning and I'm going to carry on with the teaching because that's a solid income for us. And it means then that we don't, you, that Jamie doesn't have to play parts that or go up for parts that he didn't really want to so we took quite a ballsy stance on it and we we had a bit of money coming in and so we just thought right okay if I can keep that happening I'm willing to do that and my time will come later and if at all um so it it just meant that it worked it just worked out we were just so lucky we were so lucky yeah you try to be as you try and create conditions where you can be as discerning as you can afford to be Mm. and if you're if you've if you've got a huge amount of outgoing and and a life that costs a lot of money to run um then your choices are your freedom of choice creatively is going to be a lot you're just going to have to take whatever work you can possibly get your hands on and when the work dries up, and and it, and it will, it always does, then you're going to have to find something to fill the breach. Um, whereas, however you can drop your overheads and create a life that requires less money to run um, and not overextending yourself, then you can take a company wage play earning next to nothing. But if it's a good play and a good part, you can cut your teeth and you can you can do that and give yourself the, give yourself the room to do that but it's a big worry in this industry that it's it's for years now it's increasingly become a um an arena for middle class people who can afford to do it and that, that's a problem because you lose diversity of voices in it mm. i suppose also when we talk to our teachers and ask for guidance in terms of getting into drama school Obviously, they try and be supportive and guide us, but ultimately, they have to be really honest that what we are trying to do is really difficult. And there's quite a few people my age that are kind of freaking out because they feel like the industry is fading away. What would you say to them? It will adapt, but but there's a there's a um, an increasingly well known paper which has probably come. You guys have probably got it on your radar already. Uh, called the future of employment it was a, a a study done oh i forget where uh it might have been in canada somewhere but there it was uh two guys who who basically studied the likelihood of any particular profession being automated or computerized over the next couple of decades and um you know at the top of the list you got stuff like you know bank tellers and and uh, and whatnot apparently the safest job is paleontologist which is which is as much to do with the fact that there's no investment in trying to automate it as it is to do with the fact that it, it can't be automated. But actors and writers and dancers and directors and producers are, are on that list as well. And it's interesting seeing which ones are higher up and which ones are lower down the, the risk. You know, for a while now, with the explosion in digital content and, and um, perform, performance capture and all this kind of technology... I've been sort of saying that in a way theatre has a kind of edge because it's it's analogue, it's acoustic and it's biological. Um, you know, you can't automate an actor walking onto a stage and gauging an acoustic space and filling that space with um, with unenhanced and unaugmented humanity. 
um, um, increasingly so. I mean, they'll they'll get there. They will get there eventually. But at this point, right now, it's at less risk. But mm. then you throw COVID nineteen into the mix, and um, suddenly that edge is well and truly gone. So, um, the I would say that study is probably an interesting place to start, just to give you a context, uh, and maybe to think think about this industry in that context and new jobs will be invented and created you know that will that will take their place um but what those jobs are we don't don't know thank you so much for answering all of our questions um yeah it's been so interesting especially with all of your advice about young people because our generation <laughs> our generation is just trying so hard to get into this industry definitely and you've explained so clearly the sheer level of motivation and drive needed to succeed and to survive which is beyond helpful so thank you thank you so much for having us it was really nice talking to you good luck out there not remotely entertaining was a milestone at hers production it featured Jamie Parker and Deborah Crow as our guests this week. It was created by the Milestone Productions team, Chloe Hester, Heather Law, Ellie Raywood, Martha G, Hannah Jackson, Beth Clear and Margaret Campbell. Original music was by Holly Townsend. The producer was Luke Gasper and it was a production from Hurst Point College. <laughs>